1: Welcome to the latest episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick. This is typically where I say, as always, with Chris Whittingham, but Chris is otherwise engaged today. He's dealing with David Beckham, Jorge Mas, and the Miami MLS team, Inner Miami. So he's doing that all day. So look for coverage on his podcast, Pitch Invasion, as well as on ours next week. Now that you found us, make sure that you hit the follow or subscribe button on your favorite podcast provider. That way you get all of our new episodes. So, we'll have all of our old episodes as soon as they post. And also, check out the now other 14 podcasts in our network. We just added the Chamber podcast with former Dolphins receiver Chris Chambers heading that one, and also Out for the Count on Boxing and MMA with Armando Alvarez and Vic Bermudez. Also, of course, check out Miami Heat beat three yards per carry on the Dolphins, Goldie on ice on the Panthers, swings and misses on the Marlins and all the others. Like I said, no Chris today. So I don't know if I can say this, Chris will get upset, but I guess we've increased the intellectual value of this slightly by adding Nikias Duncan. You can follow him at NBA and also writing on heatbeatmiami.com. He's been breaking down the heat on the launching pad every Monday but today we're going to do an NBA episode with David Griffin former general manager of the Cleveland Cavaliers you can now find him on NBA TV and also on Sirius XM NBA he joins us today from Atlanta David thanks for doing this
2: I'm really glad to be with you guys. I think between uh, Nakias raising the level and myself sort of regressing us to the mean, we find the Chris happy, medium, intellectual.
1: Yeah, I, I think I'm probably the happy, medium, intellectual, or maybe slightly lower. So, so we, we appreciate you joining us. Um, I got to know David a little bit when I was covering the Cavaliers' 2014-2015 uh, season when LeBron first went up there. And what I want to tackle with you today are sort of issues that a GM would have to handle in the NBA and I've got a list of them and I wanted to start with what's going on in Golden State and the situation with Kevin Durant and Draymond Green and that getting so public when you're also dealing with a player who might leaving free agency after this season, a transcendent player. And I know you've had to deal with that a little bit up in Cleveland. If, if you're with Golden State right now, how are you handling that, David?
2: Probably very similarly to how they've handled it. Um, I, I don't think I would play their cards any better than they are. Um, they certainly know what it is. You know, I, I thought it was meaningful that Draymond said what he said in terms of, look, it's no, it's no secret I'm a very emotional player. If this had been Klay Thompson losing his mind, and someone that was totally out of character for, I, I would be more concerned. Because it's Draymond, I, I think they're very practiced at sort of ignoring the noise that he generates. And again, it, it cuts both ways, because he, and he he's aware of this as well, and Steve Kerr has talked about this at length. You really don't want to tone him down too much, because that fine line he finds is is what enables him to be successful. But at the same time, I think the players on that team are used to ignoring him. What no one there is used to, and I think this is really going to be a test for them, is having everything be outside of their locker room in the media. The Chris Haynes piece on Yahoo describing in great detail what Draymond said, that's a very difficult situation to navigate, and you only learn how to make it a positive by going through the experience.
1: You had to deal with some of those situations in Cleveland, obviously, where you've got stuff that's coming out from various places. Do you handle that immediately in-house with the player? Like, for instance, if you've got a report it's coming about what two guys talked about and you think it may have come from one of the players' side, do you pull that guy aside and say, hey, we need your agent to quit this or anything like that? I mean, what can you do as a GM?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think to a huge degree, you know, Steve Kerr and I were together in Phoenix and Steve was was I think the de facto president really would be how I looked at it. And a lot of how I would deal with those circumstances, I probably learned from him and from talking to him about how pop handled things and what I've sort of come to believe and what we tried to model in Cleveland. And again, in Cleveland, as you mentioned, there was so much ancillary noise and so much media nonsense. We wanted to raise a family that loved each other and, and loved each other enough to tell each other what they need to hear. And when something like that happens, you have to have that kind of relationship with your players and with their agents and with anybody else in their lives, their family, quite frankly, where you can sit everybody down and say, look, here's the deal. Here's the damage that's been done. Here's how we fix it. And here's how we move on. And if you can have those kind of very frank conversations, I think you're fine. Where you get into trouble is when you try to ignore these things or when you brush over them and and don't deal with them head on. If you do, if you can be the type of leader who recognizes all adversity as opportunity, these things don't always have to be a negative.
3: It looks like um, they tried to clear the air a little bit. Draymond made his statement. Um, Kevin Durant seemed fine and then got a little snippy postgame after Houston. If things don't kind of correct themselves and and Golden State is kind of forced to choose between Draymond and KD, where do you see them leaning? Well, it's funny. I don't think they're ever going to have to choose between the two of them because KD is going to make a
2: decision for them anyway. And I don't think his decision is going to be made based at all really on Draymond Green. Draymond may end up being the scapegoat, but if KD leaves, he's leaving because he's seeking something that Golden State can't provide. And the reason they can't provide it is, They're all about winning championships. Joe Lacob and his ownership group, Bob Myers, Steve Kerr, they've made that really clear. Their best player, Steph Curry, his his total selflessness is what generated that sort of joy engine that attracted Kevin in the first place. Mm -hmm. So if Kevin can live that life, play on that team, win those titles, be that good in terms of the city and everything else, and still not be happy, to some degree, if you're the Warriors, the situation recruits itself. They had a 73-win nucleus before he got there. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to be part of this, there's not a whole lot they can do to fix it and still win, I think. And and that's why really I don't think it's their choice to make. I really think it's his.
1: Let's go to another situation around the league because you mentioned they have done everything they possibly can do for him. And like I said, if you're not going to be happy with that, what are you going to be happy with? But we just saw another player who wasn't happy in a situation that may not be quite as good, one in Minnesota. And I'm just curious, as you were watching that situation play out, because we were obviously into it here in Miami because the Heat surfaced as a possible destination for Jimmy. They were pushing. The Heat typically don't let stuff get out public the way that all of that got out public for a month. I'm just curious from your vantage point, how did you think Jimmy Butler handled it? How do you think the Wolves handled it? And, And what ultimately do you think this does to Philadelphia going forward?
2: Well, I'm I'm glad you brought it up right on the heels of the KD thing because what I didn't say about the KD situation and why I have so much reverence for what Golden State has done historically is because of the way they've built that and because of sort of their organizational ethos, they'll be able to sit down and have a conversation with KD and say, listen, we need to know if you're in or you're out because winning championships is a totally different situation than Jimmy Butler was experiencing. And there's no gray area. You're either with us or you're against us when it comes to winning titles. And I, I think they'll have that conversation. And because of that, again, I'm not suggesting this happen. And I don't believe what has happened there has to be significant. But if they got to the trade deadline and felt like it was and could derail their, their hopes moving forward, that organization would act and do something with KD beforehand. They Mm -hmm. wouldn't wait and, and let things play out. They would take matters into their own hands because they're not afraid of making bold moves. And I think where Minnesota got in trouble, was it was really clear Jimmy wasn't happy there. But they, they tried to dilute themselves into believing that eventually the money would be bigger than anything else. And their organization's not at all like Golden State in any way, and they don't deal with players in the same fashion. So I don't, I don't think they had the same cards to play that Golden State did.
1: Let me bring you back on something then, because, I mean, let's look at the situation a little bit in Cleveland. I know, obviously, you weren't there that last year. But let's put it this way, if you had gotten a sense that last year, because what you're talking about with KD, that LeBron was not staying or not planning to stay, would it have been your inclination at that point to try to move him?
2: Well, I think by the time that would have rolled around again, they had to play a whole bunch of different circumstances out that I did not have to deal with. And, And in some cases, my leaving brought about some of those circumstances. And I I feel responsible for that to a huge degree. It's largely my fault that Kobe Altman and his team had to play such an untenable hand. But when it came to the LeBron situation, organizationally, if you're running things the right way and he respects you enough, you can have that conversation with him and just tell him, listen, I can't be left holding the bag and get nothing for you. If you're not committing to us, I need to know. And maybe there's a way we can help each other. Now, the problem with LeBron was he had a no-trade clause. And he wouldn't have wanted to really go that route he wanted to play out the string and t- try to win a title last year. So I don't know what the conversation would have sounded like. I'm really grateful I wasn't in position to have to have that conversation. <laughs> but I don't think anything they did can be judged in hindsight because LeBron was on a constant stream of one-year deals, and it, it complicated everyone's decision-making.
3: Just getting back to Jimmy Butler, I've kind of gone back and forth about his fit in Philadelphia because on one hand, Jimmy is obviously a top what, 12, 15 player, and he's a guy that can help them close out games, and that's something that's really been missing once you consider Joel Embiid's kind of turnover issues. Ben Simmons is not easy to guard, but I guess schematically speaking, he's easy to scheme for just because he can't really shoot. Jimmy gives them another dynamic. But also, all three of those guys are guys that want to pound the ball into the ground and kind of create, they have to of their own drum. Um, how do you see that fit kind of working out?
2: It's funny, Natias. I, I agree with you to a huge degree. The fit's not great. As it sits today, I think it's a better nucleus to build upon than what they had prior to the deal. But I, I think it sort of signals that there's more to come because it's not possible for them to really play at the highest level of like to the full bandwidth of that group. If, if they don't have more shooting around them, you know, JJ Redick is going to need to start. I think that's fairly clear. If they're going to continue to try to bring something out of the Markel Fultz experience, they're going to have to do it off the bench. Uh, and eat, that would require more shooting as well. Um, I, I think what they did in the Jimmy Butler trade was potentially set the stage for a, a, a sort of sustained run at this. But I don't think they necessarily in and of itself landed in the spot as we sit today. The, their championship caliber if, if anything as we sit today they're they're less deep and the pieces fit together worse if if that's possible because they lost two starters and Covington was a guy who was a two-way player that could spread the floor where I think what they have today will be really meaningful is one what they can do next and two late in games Brett Brown now has some ability to draw some things up coming out of timeout that will put a little more fear of God in the defense than they had before because he just has so many options now that you don't know who's going to get the call.
3: We saw it in the second half of last year, especially when Philly went on that late run. When they put Ben Simmons at the five and just kind of surrounded him with shooters, that offense really took off. Yeah, Simmons obviously isn't a great shooter, but I think he's been underutilized as a screener. Do you think there will be some situations where you see Butler and Simmons closing it out with shooters and kind of leaving Embiid out there so you can kind of have that speed and stretch element, but also having a guy like Simmons that can
2: roam around everywhere? I can see that happening for sure. I can also see them playing... Jimmy, Ben, Joel, and two shooters, and, and playing more of like a four-out, one-in sort of the situation, and just slicing off of Joel more, letting him create more from the elbows. Um, some of those guard splits that Golden State runs, I could see them running with Jimmy and another shooter, and maybe you could envision Ben Simmons in the role of Draymond Green in that situation. Right. Um, I I think sort of masked in all of this, and Nikias, I think you're, you're dead, dead on about their shooting issue. Last year, the reason they were so incredibly good down the stretch was that they got their two best veteran shooters who knew how to play and could make playoff shots at the buyout deadline, and that made an enormous difference upon that team, and they don't have either one of those guys back, and they really didn't replace them either, so coming into this, I thought they were behind the eight ball, so that's why I said the Jimmy thing in and of itself can't be the answer because you still haven't solved for the fact that Ben and Joel in and of themselves, are a wonky fit at best if you don't put a lot around them that fits. Right.
1: I want to introduce you to another of the great new sponsors of the 5 Reasons Sports Network, and it is Nation. You're familiar with Nation because it is America's largest automotive retailer, so chances are they have the vehicle that you're looking for. Shop from over 100,000 new cars, trucks, vans, and sport utilities from the luxury of Mercedes-Benz to that Chevy pickup truck you've always wanted. They've got it. AutoNation helps finance over 430,000 people every single year. And you could be next. Get a great rate today. AutoNation strives to make the car buying process quick and easy, but most of all, make it stress-free. In addition to an extensive selection, all pre-owned vehicles go through a rigorous 125-point inspection and come with an everyday low, no-haggle price. One price, no pressure, guaranteed. Start your search now at AutoNation com.
0: Today's episode of the 5 Reasons Podcast is brought to you by Brunt Insurance. All your protection under one roof. Brunt Insurance offers home, auto, commercial and life insurance. Licensed to write insurance for the entire state of Florida. That's from Pensacola to the Florida Keys. Multiple carriers for all product lines to ensure you are paying the lowest rate in your area. Proud sponsor of the Homes for Heroes program which offers special discounts for first responders, teachers, military and health care professionals call greg at 954-589-2204 to reach brunt insurance or for all the information go to bruntinsurance.com
1: david if you were a, a gm of a team right now that's looking for a young talent uh with upside would you roll the dice on markel fultz
2: well it's it's interesting it depends on what my opportunity cost is if i'm a if i'm a team that's got opportunity for him i'm probably a lottery team. If I'm a lottery team and I have my own pick, I'd probably rather make my own pick. Uh, if, if I'm a lottery team and I'm right on the cusp and I'm Brooklyn, by way of example, and I've, I've already shown that I'm adept at bringing in guys who can be high-variance assets, putting them into that culture and seeing what happens, yeah, I would probably take a chance on it. If I'm Brooklyn with Kenny Atkinson as a coach and Sean Marks and Trajan Langdon, everything they've built there in terms of sweat equity in that culture. Yeah. I'd probably roll the dice because I got to think he's a, he's a low cost, um, high value proposition potentially. I mean, there's volatility in it just as there's volatility in Jimmy in Philadelphia, but I would be intrigued by it if I had the right environment to bring him to I would not want to bring him to a perennial lottery team with a bunch of young kids and a culture that is, is sort of the rest of what Brooklyn has in spades right now. I, I just can't say enough about what those guys have done there. And if you're Martell, that's where I would want to go.
1: One of the reasons I bring it up is because I was at the, uh, the Sixers-Heat game the other night and I'm watching him you know, double clutch on a free throw, but I'm also seeing the athleticism. And I'm thinking about a team like the Heat. You mentioned a culture team. And the Heat, have mm-hmm. a couple, the, the Heat have a couple of shooters. I mean, they've got Ellington, who's from Philadelphia. He's got a no trade, but he's from Philly. They've got Magruder, who's kind of been another sort of low cost asset that they've developed. And I'm just looking at it and I'm saying, okay, why would that not make sense, right? You, you know, Miami's in, in sort of in a capped out position. They, they you know, don't believe in, in high draft picks. They have their pick this year. They got seven of their next eight, but typically that hasn't been the route they've gone. Philadelphia needs two shooters, the numbers match, ellington Magruder for faults. who's unhappy? Like, for a team like Miami that's in their position, do they need to take a flyer on some guys like that, potentially? Or would you just sort of see if this team can build chemistry with where they're at?
2: Well, it's it's interesting, as Miami, first of all, I I think Spo gets absolutely no credit for the fact that this team comes in the year, everybody thinks that they're... A playoff team and it's because year after year he finds a way to reinvent what they're going to do and find a way to make it work their roster is is not easy for for any coach to, to put together it seems like everybody plays more or less the same position with with the exception of the two fives. Um, and and I'm a huge fan of BAM um, so it's it's a fascinating thing to picture Markel Fultz there and I like the fit in addition to the culture piece but One of the biggest things I think, and when you talk to sports psychologists, one of the important things for somebody like Markell is going to be to confuse and distract him and take him away from the disappointment that he feels not being successful as a number one pick. All of the things that have contributed psychologically to giving him the yips, you want to confuse and distract him from that. And not only would Miami's culture do that, working as hard as you have to work off the court in Miami getting yourself into sort of that razor razor's edge kind of physical condition that Miami gets you in that alone would put Markel in a better space because spiritually then he'd at least know he's done everything you can possibly do and if somebody's going to be a ball dominant play creator that's not really a floor spacing shooter and teach you how to be great at it hard to imagine there are a lot of guys better than Dwayne Wade to teach him so yeah I, I see a fit there for sure but I also see a whole bunch of guys that play the same position and need the ball
1: yeah and I want to follow with you on that because we've talked a lot about that roster and how it's kind of misshapen it seems like they're they're too small in some spots and then you mentioned they have the two bigs they've actually got the three bigs with Olenek where where they've got Bam. they don't really have the minutes for Bam to, to kind of allow him to develop at this stage so I'm looking at them at from a general manager's Perspective, and you know they they made a run at Butler. They didn't get Butler. They're always sort of looking for the next big piece. It's not clear unless something shakes free from maybe a Washington, where that's going to come from. What do you do in their position? Do you just wait out these deals until they're expiring and try to reshape the thing, or where can you go? Because we're struggling to figure out. uh, They've never been in this position, Dave. Like where they're sort of in the middle. Um, It's just not you know, they've, they've sort of been on one end, which very rarely on the bottom end, and then usually in a contending position. What would be your strategy for them?
2: It's really difficult from where they sit, as you know. I, I think part of what happened was they they misread the market on Hassan. I think they thought they were protecting the asset value of Hassan by signing him to the deal. And then they very quickly realized that was almost going to be something that weighed them down and they weren't going to be able to jettison the deal. I can't imagine that based on who he is and his inability to bring it on a day-to-day basis mentally, that that's something that they're comfortable with. But at the same time, I don't think they're ever going to find any value in it in terms of finding a trade partner that really wants him. I think if you're going to do something significant now, you just sort of have to declare aside. side. And if what you're doing is waiting until those deals expire, then be okay if you're not a playoff team and be all in on something like this Markel Fultz that we're talking about. And if, we're, if you're not willing to do that and you want to say, okay, we're going to be a playoff team and be as good as we can possibly be, then get rid of everything that doesn't fit that model for you. And again, I, I don't know what they think of the pieces they have internally, so I can't say which ones that mean go away. But I think the worst thing you do is, is be adrift. You have to declare a side. And once you do that, I think it becomes a lot easier. And I'm not sure I know for certain what side they're on unless it's, as you said, wait for the deals to be up. I know that Andy Ellisberg is probably as good as anybody's ever been at the cap management and strategy aspect of this. I'm sure he has a plan in place that I'm not privy to. But for me, it's got to involve – we're all the way in on
3: something. Just on that note, I've kind of been in on the sell high on Goran Dragic point just because Miami kind of needs to take a side. And I feel like, in particular with Justice Winslow, I think he needs on-ball reps. His best role is going to be as kind of like a point forward, and Goran doesn't help that. What do you think Goran's trade value is around the league?
2: All right, fellas, this is a tough one. You've hit me where I live now. Goran (laughs) Goran Dragic is as close to a son as I have in the NBA. Um, I, I love him with every fiber of my being as a human being. He's, he's a special, special kid, his family, they're special people. So for me to tell you, yeah, they should trade him. I, I can't do that. What what I can tell you is if you're picking a side, Gorn is a guy who's all about right now. He's a guy who's going to make winning plays at the highest level in the biggest moments. He's like a smaller Manu in that way. His biggest moments and his best plays come when it matters the most. And if you're not playing for those moments, then someone else values more from him than you do. So if picking a side means someone's going to go, he's the one that has the most value. Now, I I would tell you, I I hope he doesn't go anywhere if he doesn't want to leave. (laughs) I think he loves it there. Mm -hmm. Um, But I saw him here in Atlanta, actually, when the team was here. And he's the same kid he's always been. His head's in exactly the right space from a winning standpoint. So I believe his value would be incredibly high among teams that need a point guard. The problem is, and, and Nikaias, you, you probably know this better than I do right now, the best playoff teams in the NBA Mm -hmm. that could really value from a Goran Dragic, they don't really need a point guard. Mm-hmm. You no, know, that's not really the thing that they lack so again in order to find a fit for what his gift really is you need a team that's trying to win something meaningful that needs a point card
1: well a couple things on that first i knew as soon as Nikias asked the question that that was gonna be the most difficult question that we asked you knowing you're really this show is sponsored by better help what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day go for a run take a nap maybe check the stats of the latest miami heat game i've got a better idea
4: By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.
1: Relationship with him. And I also know, I mean, I love Coran too, and I know... Uh, he told us at media day he wants to finish his career in Miami. So I, it is a challenging situation. But when you look at the Heat's assets, you know he he's really you know one of the few assets that they have. I guess that you know the team that might value him. I, I agree with you, David, about the the playoff teams. That's the problem. The contending teams. I mean, whether it's a Lowry or a Kyrie, or I mean, they have point guards. I mean, that that's you know that's an issue. Um, you know, Philadelphia playing Simmons at the point, although I think Goron actually might might fit up there to a degree. But even the best teams in the West, whether it's a Curry or a Chris Paul, they have point guards. Uh, I guess it would be to me, it would have Goron would have to be a combo player, right, that plays like twenty-eight to thirty minutes on one of those teams because I, I don't like like I said, I don't see a starting role for him. On any of those. The only one, uh, David, that I thought might make some sense might be San Antonio, particularly with DeJounte Murray being out for the year. And uh, Goran just strikes me uh, for a lot of reasons, some obvious ones, but some others uh, as a pop player. But that's the only place I could really really see for him. I I did want to ask you about one other player because you traded him. before you do that yeah, yeah, before you
2: do that denver is a mm-hmm. place that makes some sense to me right now they're relegated to running almost everything through Jokic and milsap as their playmakers
0: mm-hmm. because
2: jamal's really a go get it and score guy he's not a set other people up guy and i don't think they have anyone like him even coming off the bench they may envision that isaiah thomas is going to do some of that when he comes back he's not this kid um, and if you're Denver, I think if you could get the right, the right deal put together, it could make some sense there.
1: That's a good one. Yeah, I didn't even think of them, but you're right. Um, Jamal's looked much better playing on the second unit, kind of being the scoring guy on that unit than setting up guys on the first unit, so I'm with you on that one. I want to ask you about one more guy with the heat before we move on. You made a decision to kind of move the team forward when you were in Cleveland in 14-15 to trade Dion and to bring in, you know, additionally uh, JR Smith and Mozgov and, and Schumpert, the deal that you made. Uh, then I thought, you know, after Dion went to OKC, played pretty well there. I thought the Heat made a good, really good signing there, signing him for the one year for 2.7. He played well. He provided some moments for them, particularly the last two months of the season. And then they signed him to the four years. Um, how do they recoup value with Dion Waiters at this stage?
2: Well, I, obviously, it starts with health. I mean, if he's not going to be healthy, um and get himself in elite condition it's going to be really really complicated you you almost end up moving bad money for worse money um you know the idea would be to to get shorter worse money um but you you may be in that circumstance if he's not going to be healthy uh, if he is going to be healthy he's going to have to play for them for a while to prove that he's an asset again um i i don't know that you could have a more precipitous drop in value than he's had uh, because of the injury issues, and and now really all you think about are the negatives surrounding Dion and not enough of the positives that they had experienced when they first signed him.
1: I want to tell you about another great sponsor of the 5 Reasons Sports Network, and that is the Seltzer Mayberg Law Firm. You can find Seltzer Mayberg at onecalllegal.com. That's onecalllegal.com, or by calling 1-855-5000-LAW. They handle cases including but not limited to car accidents, slip and falls, criminal immigration, family bankruptcy, real estate, wills, trust, and estates. Help me out with something related to that right now. And they've got a great new 15,000-square-foot office that's opening on I-95 in North Miami, We're from where they'll handle cases from all over the state. Call now with 24-7 service for a free consultation. That's right, a free consultation. Just mention five reasons. Again, it's onecallegal.com. 1-855-5000-LAW. As we're airing this, LeBron James was in Miami on Sunday with the Lakers. And you know, what I wanted to get into with you here a little bit is kind of what, because you've experienced, very few people in the NBA have experienced this. Um, basically, you know, Pat Riley and his crew, Eric Spolster, experienced it in Miami, and you experienced it with your group uh, up in Cleveland, which is bringing in the best player in the world and trying to figure out a way to make all the pieces fit around it. Where do you think the Lakers are at this stage and and how different do you think they're going to look later on? Because as we mentioned, your team went through a transformation in Cleveland. It was not the same team that LeBron came to that ended up being the one that was in the finals that year. How different do you think it'll look by year two?
2: Yeah, I think it'll look significantly different, but I think Miami and the Lakers were playing a different game than we were because they had them on a long-term deal. And you could feel like it was okay to make a – more sustained run at this and to make a more mindful run at this. When you're constantly chasing right now, everything that you do is different. And it's it's a fascinating thing to watch happen in the league, how different people's timelines are. You know, Minnesota wanted to win right now with a really young team, so they hired Thibodeau, who couldn't be any more different in terms of thought process and the way he reaches young guys than Sam Mitchell had been. And they wanted to win right now, so their window was different maybe than their talent allowed for their window to be. So I think that's the first thing is you've got to have the right window. And they do. I I think they understand that LeBron can stay terribly elite for as long as the game holds his interest, to be honest. If it's the number one thing in his life and he's going to continue to sacrifice to win like he always has, they know he can be elite for three or four more years. And because of that, I, I look at this current iteration of the roster is just step one of of what Magic must have sold LeBron when they sat down together prior to his decision to sign. And it was, we're going to put ball-dominant play creators around you, take some burden off you in the regular season, and then we'll add elite pieces because we potentially have room for two max guys. And I think that's what LeBron signed on for. So I think they're really in a good place because they have assets that would get them the things they want in the short term. But if they decide they want to take a run with what they have and and play for another season this way, they can. So I I like where they're at, but it's, it's like Nikias had brought up Jimmy Butler in Philly. This isn't done by any means. It's just the first step.
3: I must say it's kind of hard to put stock in LeBron being patient considering his entire history with that word. We've already seen kind of their young guys be floated out. We've heard the John Wall thing. There was talk about Kawhi Leonard up until he eventually got moved to Toronto. Jared Jack has now put Kevin Durant and Anthony Davis <laughs> kind of in the air. You know, it would take a trade to get Anthony Davis at this point. Among the three premier young talents, you got Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma. I think Hart's better than Kuzma, but that's a different conversation. Um, which one of those guys do you think is the safest of the three? It's safest in terms of staying with the Lakers? Yes.
2: I think Kuzma's the one that will be there that's the most certain to be there. You mentioned Josh Hart. If he's not there, they made a huge mistake. I I love that kid. And I I think he is really essential to winning in the short term with LeBron as well. Um, He knows how to play. He can make shots. He's just a stone cold winner. I I really like him as a fit with Bron. But in terms of long-term, the one piece that I could say unequivocally seems like he'll be there is Kuzma. And the reason for, for that is if you look at who the elite free agents would be that they're recruiting, what's going to give LeBron patience is, okay, yeah, I'm not winning as much as I want to in the playoffs and I need a whole lot more around me, but we've got max cap space and we can go get XYZ. Well, the carrot of, of KD and, and Anthony Davis will occupy him for a little while, mm-hmm. but I, I think ultimately they're going to have to move one of Ingram ball and maybe two of Ingram ball to get that next piece next to him now I hope I hope they don't because I also really really like Ingram he was the guy coming into the year that I thought had to take the quantum leap forward for them to be a contender Mm -hmm. I just don't know if in a world with another star with LeBron and again I think this is a long shot but if, if KD was there it's hard for me to imagine Ingram ever becomes what Ingram's capable of being so maybe it's better for him to get out eventually anyway but if you held a gun to my head, the one guy I'm pretty confident will be a Laker longer is is Kuzma. Well,
1: the other thing that happens, of course, when Laker when LeBron leaves a team is that you know that team has to adjust to it. And I'm just curious philosophically about this, and I, I know the relationship you have uh, with, with Kobe up in Cleveland, and I know you saw what happened with Miami after he after LeBron left in 2014. Which do you think is the better approach after you lose a player like that? Is it what Miami tried to do, which was let's stay competitive. We don't want we don't want to sink to the bottom. We want to try to make this thing work. They they signed Bosch, and obviously that didn't work out the way that they hoped. Or is it what the Cavs are doing now, which is basically breaking the thing down to the bottom? It, it what for you philosophically is the better way to go?
2: Well, it's funny. The Cavs didn't start that way. They they intended to do the same thing Miami did. Mm -hmm. And Kevin Love ended up getting injured and they weren't nearly as competitive in the short term as they, they had hoped to be. But signing Kevin Love was about buying optionality. Let's, let's see if we can be good in the short term. And if we can't be good, I think the thought process was on Kobe's part and his staff's was, then we know we can move the deal because it has asset value at that number. And the way they structured the deal was all designed around that. Um, If, If I had to pick fortunately this isn't binary right it doesn't have to be all one or all the other if I I had to pick I would pick not being in the middle Um, but I you can only do that in a circumstance where everything about your culture and your organization can sustain itself while you're losing Miami was in a situation they could have done anything they wanted because of the presence of Pat Riley and everything that heat culture means They, they could have taken it down to the studs and built over again Not every team can do that. The risk of getting that far down is that you stay there. You know, Sacramento is a great story right now. They were in the lottery 14 straight years, I believe. Well, that's that's not a recipe that you can buy into as an organization. So you got to be careful where you do it. you you got to be careful what you have there. Taking it down to the studs requires an awful lot on the part of ownership and a front office and a coach that can handle all of that yeah
1: he fans get impatient after 14 days i don't know how they'd feel after 14 years uh that that, that, that would go over very well i before we move on to a couple other league topics and then let you go here i do want to see if i can probe you for one story because i, I did hear this story not from you up in cleveland but when i was up there that year i heard this from a couple of different people about sort of how bitter the Heat were that LeBron left and that something came down with a Norris Cole trade that was supposed to happen <laughs> but didn't happen. Can, can you share is – is the statute of limitations off that one now? Can we share that particular story?
2: You know, it's funny. I, I don't think there's a whole lot to be gained by it, but suffice it to say that if we were getting a player from the Heat that had any chance to help us, that was not something they were going to sign on for.
0: <laughs> okay.
2: um, no matter – no matter who that player was, no matter how many different teams I got involved, um, I could route their players through lots of locations, but if their end destination was us, there, there wasn't a whole great deal of interest in playing that game, I don't, I don't suspect.
1: Thank you for confirming it. Okay. We'll move on to the next one here, David. So I won't press you on that too much. Uh, but that that is one of the sort of the folklore stories of, of that that year uh, when, when the Heat were not real thrilled uh, with LeBron. All right, let's 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 move on to the next by one the here. way,
2: By yes. the way, to be clear, I, I don't think that's about bitterness necessarily towards LeBron. P- part of it is you don't want to help a team that has a chance to win a championship. There's a higher cost associated with that. Um, I know certain teams. There were many teams that we dealt with along the way, didn't want any part of of helping LeBron win a championship, and it wasn't Miami specific. You don't want to be the one who gives somebody the piece that puts them over the top. You know, it's like being the one who traded away Rasheed Wallace for a first round pick, Mm -hmm. and made Detroit what they were. Nobody wants to be that person if they can help it.
1: Hi, this is Craig Mish from Swings and Mishes here on the Five Reasons Podcast Network. Just in case you missed any of our podcasts in the past, here's what you missed.
2: We have been um, extremely aggressive in, in trying to acquire additional uh, international dollars, not just for you know uh, potential free agents with two first names. It's nice that that ownership is is fully supportive and allowing us to 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 do everything in our power um, to be um, the best team. In, in, in this region, in the gateway to America, and, and and for Miami to become a destination spot for for all Latin players uh, because, you know, this is such an
1: international city.
0: Hey, it's Josh Appel. And Mr. Bill Eleven. Now we are from Smark Your Territory, the Five Reasons Sports Network's resident wrestling podcast coming at you live on tape every Wednesday. From the Fortress of Smark,
3: join us on the fringes of the smattering for some not-so-serious pro wrestling talk.
0: It's Smark Your Territory every Wednesday on the Five Reasons Sports Network. All
1: right, let's move on to Mello here for a second. What is the right situation for him? Is there a right situation for him?
2: I think there is. I certainly think there is. I, I think it's a situation like Memphis, a, a team that's trying to win right now, that has a team with some veteran presence to it, that needs a second-unit scorer or a guy who could play some with the starters but maybe play primarily with that second unit and still has enough defense around him to absorb his lack of fit on that end. Really, Melo is a four at this point, and he's not going to deal with guys a la Montrez Harrell who are, who are going to be playing that four or five with urgency and effort on a regular basis. He's going to guard more of the fours that are more like facing, spacing, spacing fours. Um, he's not going to be a tremendous rebounder, but he is going to put points on the board. He's still somebody that, while you may not like it aesthetically, and you can give me all the analytics reasons why what Melo does doesn't work, if you can't score at all like Memphis when, when their starters are off the court, having somebody that can carry you for four to seven minutes while those guys get a blow, wouldn't be a terrible idea. And they've got enough defensive presence. You know, you could put him with Jaron Jackson Jr. You could put him with Garrett Temple, and they could absorb some of what he lacks a little bit. Um, so I could see that as a fit among the good teams. But, you know, again, it's, it's the opposite of the Goran Dragic piece, right? It's, it's not playoff teams that benefit the most necessarily. Um, you, you can't put him on a, on a young team because you want to develop your kids more. If you're losing, you'd rather lose with young guys than lose with mellow. So I, I really think it's a very specific fit that you have to have.
1: Final one here for you, David. Really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, one of the things we've seen this year, and uh, again, it's hit home here because we're used to the Heat giving up, giving up 95 points, and now they give up 120 every other night, uh, is the rule changes. I'm fascinated by how this affects uh, general managers around the league because we've already seen – you know, sort of this transition to small ball and and all of that that's come through over the past six, seven, eight years, and sort of the adjustment to that, and now you have an adjustment to what is a totally different game from a pace perspective. So, does that change the way you evaluate players? Does it change the way you scout, or you just sort of wait for players to adjust so that it's not quite as you know ridiculous, I guess, as it's been in some cases early this season?
2: This is one of the reasons I'm such a huge fan of Spolstra's. Spo has shown a propensity to play really slow and win, and he can play really fast and win. And his talent's not better than yours while he's doing it. And I think the most important element of that is finding your pace. It's finding the, the speed at which you have the upper hand. And I think we're seeing Utah struggling with that right now. Utah's playing like five possessions faster per hundred than they did last year. Well, they don't have a margin of error that can absorb those five extra possessions. They can't score fast enough to do that. So their version of zigging while everyone else zagged was to play slower and to grind you out a little bit and then let Donovan Mitchell go rock out. If what he has to do is score 40 all the time, it's going to be different. And so I I think if if you're building a team, it shouldn't change anything at all in the way you approach things. It starts with what are we going to do? What does it mean to be a member of this team and how do we want to play? And you can't build a team that's going to beat the Warriors playing fast if you've got a bunch of turnover-prone kids that foul a lot. And I don't think that's Miami, but I'm saying, you know, by way of example, it's a really cut-and-dried example. You can't be that. And everyone wants to play fast, which is great, but you can't defend fast. They're not meant to defend at that rate because their athleticism and length isn't like Milwaukee. Those guys could defend at any pace. It's freakish how much of the court they cover. So – I think the most important thing when you're running an organization and when you're coaching a team, what works for you? I don't care what it looks like. What works for us? And, again, I mentioned Memphis earlier. They've done a really good job of being about something for a long period of time. And it's working for them in a way that their talent on paper should tell you it can't.
3: A quick question on the rule changes, specifically the freedom of movement rule. Uh, We've seen an uptick in fouls. And I think that's kind of forced teams to switch a little bit more than they did last year. With um, switching kind of going up, I guess, except in Minnesota, um, do you think we're going to see kind of a return of posting? I do.
2: I do a little bit. And I, I think it's, it's meaningful to me that you guys are both Miami guys because you saw this firsthand. But when the first wave of rules changes came in and the hand-checking rule and all of those things were first introduced, Miami just fouled you on every single possession, and they, dare, <laughs> they dared the ref
0: to call it. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> they said, we're not changing. We are going to do what we do, and they'll get tired of calling it. And it's exactly like Golden State. Every screen Draymond sets, for the most part, is illegal. And they've gotten away with it because of the way they do it. San Antonio got away with, got away with it with Duncan for all those years. He would set the screen. And then he would sort of bend at the waist and stick his butt out
3: Mm -hmm.
2: and act like he was rolling to the basket. Well, it's an illegal screen. But instead of talking about it being illegal and bitching about it, Steve Kerr said, you know what? You set screens like that. If they're not going to call it, do it. And I think Miami's one team that recognizes the playoffs are different than the regular season. And if they're not going to call it in the playoffs, I'm willing to lose games establishing my identity in the regular season. Because right. if I can win just enough to get there, I'll be ready to win better when it matters more. It's two totally different leagues. So this freedom of movement rule, it's fine. It's really a cool thing. I don't really care one way or the other that they did it. They didn't need to do it. I don't think the game lacked for any sort of excitement or scoring. <laughs> right. But what it's done is it's challenged coaches to say, okay, how do I teach this better? And the good coaches and the good teachers will ultimately spin this as a positive. And again, I think Spo will be one of those guys.
1: It's interesting. You mentioned earlier turnovers and fouls because that's been a huge problem for the heat so far. And again, it may just be a case of we're going to do what we did before. And eventually they get tired of calling it because they're, they're high on turnover rate right now and they're high on foul rate. And those are two things, like you said, with a roster that's kind of an average talent roster has really held them Back so far, David. We appreciate you taking the time. Now, I want one thing on you personally here because now you've been out of the game for a little bit. I know you're living up in Northern California. You're enjoying life. You're doing the thing in Atlanta. Do you want to get back into it? Is that something ultimately that you, I mean? Do you see yourself being a general manager again someday soon? You know, it's
2: funny. I could have stayed <laughs> where I was. It's it's not about doing it again. It's it's being in the right circumstance. It's exactly like we talked about with players and the Caius mentioned Jimmy Butler in Philadelphia. This is only enjoyable if you're in lockstep with ownership and a head coach and you feel like you can build something meaningful. And if I were to go back to being a team president somewhere and run an organization, it would be because I believed I could be the right fit. And I didn't feel like I was that fit in Cleveland. And I'm not searching for it, to be honest with you. I've I've really enjoyed the fact that doing what I've done, I'm in love with the game again. You know, when winning a championship is the only thing that marks success, you lose sight of what really matters in all of this. Mm-hmm. Every single result seems like the end of the world. And what really mattered, what really drew us to this, was we love hoop, and we love people and leading people. And if we can do that in a great situation, fine. And if we can't, no, that's okay. We'll keep doing what we're doing.
1: You were also in one of the most pressurized situations in sports, which was helping a guy deliver a championship to a city that never had one um, or hadn't had one in 50 plus years. So I, well, I couldn't.
2: He makes things a lot more fun as well because you're playing in really meaningful Mm -hmm. moments all the time. You know, in Phoenix, we went to the conference finals three times in a six-year period. We probably left at least one finals run, probably two or three on the table because we didn't have enough attention to detail. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of things we learned in that failure that we applied to the Cleveland situation. And I think I have a great relationship with LeBron in large part because we respected each other. And one of the reasons that you have that as you can admit, you don't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. So you, you hope you can be in an environment where you can find the answers with someone and not be told what they are. And I think that's what we were able to do in Cleveland for a while.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, follow him uh, at DG underscore R-I-F-F on Twitter or check out his work on NBA TV and also on Sirius XM. NBA, David, always appreciate the time. And yeah, the, the Heat should have just traded Janoris Cole, but we were not going to get into that in any more depth today. <laughs> so, <that laughs>
2: hey, all I know is if I come back, Nikias and I do twenty minutes on the Spain
1: set. I think I, that was a really good idea. I, I absolutely. Oh, you know what? I'll just let this roll. You guys can continue from that, David. <laughs> David, thanks for the time. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, guys.
0: Thank you for listening to the Fire in the Pocket. Thank you
4: so much. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more,